Who is God? With one word, he spoke light into darkness, full of magnitude and mystery. His gentle hands give the very life we breathe. His heart is good and his love is sure. But can I really open up and trust? Is he close enough for me to touch? Will he hold my secrets near and hear the depth of my cry? Is grace all it takes to redeem what's inside? From the heights of heaven, he saw me still and walked earth that I might know he's real. Oh, what peace he brings and the endless glory I will see. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, let's continue worshiping. Let me encourage you to take your copy and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, there's a copy in the pew rack in front of you and or uh, the verses I'm about to read will be on the screens behind me here. Uh, I agree with Brad. It sounded so good to hear you sing this morning. Praises to our God and uh, to be reminded together of who we are and who he is. Uh, we're in the second week of an eight-part series on God is, looking at different attributes of God. Dave Cruz kicked it off last week by helping us understand more about the goodness of God. And this week, I have the small task of taking about a half hour or less to understand, help you understand God's love, which would be no, no big deal. Be be easy. So let me invite you to stand in honor of God's word, and let me just let the Holy Spirit speak through Paul here. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. The Spirit of God led Paul to write these words. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. The more I think about God's love, the more impossible it is for words to accurately communicate it. And it's no wonder that Paul pauses twice in this letter to pray for supernatural things to happen in the Ephesians' life. He stops at the end of chapter one and at the end of chapter three. So before you sit down, 
I'm going to use Paul's prayer at the end of chapter three to pray for us to dissect and process these verses. So if you have your Bible open, it's not on the screen, sorry, I called an audible on this this morning. Look at verse 16 and I'm gonna pray through verse 19 of chapter three. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. Almost 10 years ago now, one of the greatest singers of all time passed away and that was Whitney Houston. And if you say she was not one of the greatest singers of all time, you're wrong. If you happen to be as lucky as I was to be alive and her prime and to enjoy her music, you'll know what I'm talking about, just an angelic voice. She died of an overdose, September of 2012. And at her funeral, Tyler Perry spoke. Tyler Perry's the gentleman on the right there. Tyler Perry spoke. I encourage you to Google it, not now, but later. And watch what he had to, listen to what he had to say. At the beginning of his brief talk at her funeral, He said that one of the first times he got to meet Whitney, he was very surprised. They shared a meal together and he was very, very surprised at how open she was with her struggles. If you know anything about Whitney Houston, you know she was at the top of the top of the top of the charts, but she also had very, very horrific marital issues and substance abuse issues. And Perry said that he was shocked at how open she was and she would just discuss things about things she had done that she's ashamed of and things that had been done to her and that he would see this heaviness come over her across the table. And he said, it's my, it's my way to interject and offer an encouragement or to tell her it's going to be okay. But he said, every time I wanted to interject myself, she would say, but the Lord. I wish I could say it like he can, I can't. I'm not even gonna try. I'm as white as they come, I'm not gonna try that. And he said, I would continue, she would continue to talk about how low things would go, even in her own sins. And when he'd be about to interject, every time she would say, but my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the takeaway for Tyler Perry in that conversation was that Whitney Houston knew a level of God's love he didn't. That he understood that God might love her and that she would understand maybe God's love for her when she was at the top of her game or when she was operating and doing good things. But she was communicating that he met her at the bottom. That he met her when she was messing up and would say, but the Lord, but my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dave Cruz rightly quoted the great A.W. Tozer last Sunday when he kicked off this series. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I heard that quote several years ago and have found it to be incredibly true. If you have a wrong understanding of God, it will impact your life drastically. 
If you have a right understanding of God, it will impact your life drastically. I believe Tozer is correct. I fear where we most often miss God or misunderstand God is when it comes to his love. Now, you're good 9 a.m. church going people. You probably never say this out loud. But I have a pretty good hunch. Much of your life is spent thinking God loves you more when you do good and loves you less when you do bad. Now, you know better, but I have a real good feeling you don't live that way. Part of the reason is it's in the air we breathe. Everything around us screams this kind of um, um, in, uh, this um, vibe. If, have you been watching the Olympics? Okay, am I the only one that's watched the Olympics? I mean, I've been watching a lot of the Olympics and every time I feel bad about my body, I just go to the pantry and get more chips. So now that they're off, I will lose some more weight, hopefully. But isn't it amazing? I mean, when I say it's in the air, it's in the, it's in the society, it's in the air we breathe, it's in the water we swim in. It's, what I mean is this whole mentality that the better you do, the more you're loved. And the worse you do, the less you're loved. If you get a gold medal, or if you do good at the Olympics, you get a gold medal. NBC wants to interview you. You get some um, uh, promotions, you get some deals with some folks. Everybody praise you. You come in fourth. <laughs> we parents are good at it. Be a good boy. Don't be a bad girl. We go to school. Our kids go to school. We, we go to work. If you do good, your boss likes you and maybe gives you a promotion. You don't do a good job at work, you're gonna have a hard conversation. Even in our marriages, if we're not careful, our love or our affections will fluctuate based on the, how our spouse is doing towards us. Now, again, I want you to hear me. I'm not saying all of these things are wrong necessarily. We need to teach our children right and wrong and good or bad so, so they can live out in society, okay? The problem is, is when we take all of this environment and this air we're breathing in our society, we place it on top of God. And we say, well, everybody else acts this way, God must. No, 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 no. Don't get your theology from society. Get your theology from the Bible. God's love is not based on your actions or my actions. At least if I'm understanding Ephesians 2 correctly, it's not. Did you catch it a moment ago? How Paul started out chapter 2? It's depressing. If I were to stop at chapter 3 this morning, we'd all need therapy. We probably all need therapy anyway, but we'd need it extra. He starts off by just saying, here's, here, here's how all of us are. Look at it again, verses one through three. 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as others were also. Have a great day. God bless you. Dead in sins, spiritually dead. That's the condition of every human being left to themselves. Dead in sins and trespasses, lifeless, can do nothing on your own. Thanks, Paul. Not only that, but we follow the ruler of the world, the spirit that's now at work in the world. That means Satan, we were being driven by him. We did whatever we wanted to do, however we wanted to do it, and didn't care who we hurt. We followed our flesh, we did what our flesh said do. And there's this big target on our back that said God's wrath because we're one big ball of rebellion against him. That's how Paul starts chapter two. <laughs> Thanks. It's a description of every human being. He says, we all, just like others also, Eugene Peterson, who translated the Bible into what's called the message, he, the paraphrase of the Bible, his version of these verses goes like this. You were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. Left to ourselves, verses one through three of Ephesians two is a description of every single one of us. And if you don't believe me, you're living a lie. And if you don't believe me, have kids. <laughs> a bunch of sinners. I did not have to teach my kids how to lie. They came out of the womb really good at that. I did not have to teach my kids how to not share. They came out of the womb really good at stealing toys. All of us, this is our lot. Now get this, Paul's writing to a group of new Christians who don't think they are loved by God very much. And this is how he starts chapter two. He's writing to a group who were not Jews and they thought, well, we're saved, but we just got a little bit of God's love. We don't have near as much love as the Jews do. They didn't think they got the full dose. And so this is how Paul starts off. Okay, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You follow Satan. You're, you, all you do is follow the inclinations of your evil flesh and you're an object of God's wrath. That'll encourage you. Now think about that for just a second. Paul knows he's writing to a group of Christians who know they are partly saved, but didn't think they were fully saved, fully loved by God, and this is where he goes. Why? You'll never understand the nature of God's love until you understand how radical it is, how radical our situation is. You know, Paul's not trying to depress them. Paul's not trying to condemn them. Paul is setting them up just like he's setting us up. Now, let me ask you before we move on, 
considering verses one through three of Ephesians chapter two, how do you think God responds to those kinds of people? Some of you know the next part of the verse, but I'm asking you right now, when you wake up the morning after you sin, how do you respond? How do you think God responds to your wickedness? Many of you think God did this at salvation, but most of you, I fear, believe that after salvation, you got to clean yourself up. You've heard me say this before, but if you read verses one through three of Ephesians two, and there are other verses in the Bible I can point you to, but you'll just have to trust me. The only thing we bring to the table in our relationship with God is rebellion. That's it. Actually, if we're dead in our sins, spiritually dead, we can't even bring that. We're just one big ball of rebellion. We rebel against God. How does God respond to people who sin against him? That's the question. How, how do you think God responds to people like that? Is he, is he this drunk father who cannot wait for you to get home so he can abuse you physically? Is that how you view him? Is he this police officer that's waiting around the corner so that when you come around the corner, he's got the cuffs ready to get you? Is he this, is he this cosmic angry man who can't wait to punish you for your sins or to see if you mean it this next time? Is that how God is to you? How does God respond to people who live in sin? Verses four and five might be some of the most beautiful verses in all the scripture. This is, this is how God responds to sinners. Verse four, put your eyes on it if your Bible's open. If not, put your eyes on the screen. But God, I love conjunctions, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses you are saved by grace that's incredible He entered our mess and said, I'm staying. He enters our rebellion and says, I'm going to fix it. He, he comes and he, he, he puts skin on and he joins us and he says, I will never forsake you. There's nothing in these verses that says, when you get your act together, God's going to help you. No, it says you can't get your act together. God comes anyway. That's love. That's love. When you have nothing to offer, yet he comes and does it for you. He enters our mess and he stays. Or you could put it this way, God loves anyway. You do know this is the story of the Bible, right? 
If you said, if somebody asked you next time, give me the story of the Bible in two words, you could say, Ephesians 2, 4, but God. Do it. They'll be like, what? And then you can explain it because you're hanging on to every word I say. Give me two words to describe the Bible. What is it? But God. I mean, this, this is, this is the message of the Bible. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5, 8. It's almost like he couldn't talk about this enough. God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You say, well, actions speak louder than words. What did he do for me? <laughs> there you go. He proves his love that while we were sinners, not when we cleaned ourselves up. So I hate when I see people and I invite them to church. They said, I hadn't been in a while. When I get things together, then I'll come back. I want to say, you never get anything together. It's not how it works. He meets you there in your mess. It's the message of the Bible. You do know that in the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, God created us to be with him. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve messed everything up by sin. And the rest of the, New, uh, the, rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament is God's pursuing us in love. And it climaxes in him sending his son for us. And the whole end is about us being with him forever. That's the message of the Bible. Sally Lloyd-Jones in her masterpiece, The Jesus Storybook Bible, puts it this way. The Bible is a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. I love that. That's the story of the Bible but God who is rich in mercy. Now, many of you, as I said a second ago, believe that. And you hold on to that. But I fear, maybe it's just me, but I fear most of us think that after we pray the prayer, sign the card, get dunked, walk the aisle, make a decision to follow Jesus, then we gotta fix ourselves. We gotta prove to Jesus just how good we are. I know he loves me and he reached down and he saved me, but now, now I, gotta, I gotta become more and more holy. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that's just not how it works. We sin and we wake up the next morning and we think, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I, I won't do it again. I, I promise I'm not gonna do that again. I'm gonna fix myself. I'm gonna do four or five good things this week so I can show you that I mean it this time. By the way, how you think God views you right after you sin will say a lot about your theology in your life. Many of us believe he reaches down and saves us at the moment of salvation, but then he changes tone. And we think we got to go fix ourselves now or prove that we really mean it this time. Or God's not going to love us. Or God's going to punish us. Or God's going to make life hard. Is that what the Bible says? Fix it. Guess what? Once you, once you trust Christ, you still can't fix yourself. Look at verse six. 
Put your eyes on verse six. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you saw that, but he says immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Let me ask you, church, is there a reason that he would need to show us immeasurable grace forever unless we needed immeasurable grace forever? That needed an amen, but that's okay. He can't show you grace unless you need grace. Maturing as a Christian is not saying, look what I did for you, Lord. It's, oh my goodness, look what else you're doing for me today. It's becoming enamored with the grace of Jesus. By the way, that kindness piece, he would have no need to be kind to us unless we did things that didn't deserve kindness. He doesn't just meet you in your sin at the moment of salvation. He meets you in your sin after salvation. And again, and again. I don't know about you, but I, I, I signed a card and prayed the prayer and got dunked when I was eight. And don't tell my mama, but I've sinned a lot worse since, since I was eight. I've sinned a lot worse post becoming a Christian than before. And guess where Jesus met me? But the Lord but my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, it's not based on our actions, good or bad. It's based on the fact that he has moved heaven and earth to be with you. To be with you. He doesn't look at you based on what you have and haven't done. He looks at you because he made you and he wants to be with you. You cannot earn his love. You cannot lose his love. The way to receive it is simply to believe that it's true. Do you know verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians 2 is one long run-on sentence? Paul failed grammar, which is a lot of hope for people like me. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10 is one long run on sentence. But one thing I do know about grammar school is that for, for, <laughs> for there to be a, 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 a sentence at all, there must be a subject and a verb. Is that right? English teachers must be a subject and a verb. Do you know there's all kinds of verbs in these verses? But there's one subject. But God. You know, he's the subject here. It ain't about you. It's about him and what he does for you. He is the actor. You and I are the receivers. We glory in his love and his grace. By the way, that phrase rich in mercy, I just, this is for free. That phrase rich in mercy, it's the only place in the New Testament where we're told what God is rich in. 
And I don't like the CSB translation because it should be translated being rich in mercy. In other words, it's his being. He can't help it. God can't help but be merciful towards us. It's his way. September 23rd, 2017. There was a police officer by the name of Ryan Holitz in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he and his partner were working. They were responding to a attempted robbery at a convenience store. By the time Ryan Holitz and his fellow police officer got to the convenience store, the would-be burglar had already run off to wherever he was. He got, got away. But the police officers heard some commotion behind the convenience store, and so they went, and they saw two people, a male and a female. Both had needles in their hands, and the female was fixing to shoot heroin into her friend. The cop, Ryan, looked at the female and saw that she was pregnant and quickly learned that this 35-year-old woman named Crystal was eight months pregnant, homeless and shooting up heroin. Ryan Holitz, this police officer, had a body camera and he said to her, quote, why are you doing this stuff? It's going to ruin your baby. You're going to kill your baby. Crystal Champ, the woman who was eight months pregnant, looked up at him and the other cop and said, how dare you judge me? You have no, no idea how hard this is. I know what a horrible person I am. I know what a horrible situation I'm in. Something happened when she screamed that at him. Here she is looking at this cop who's got the cuffs and the badge and the guns and the authority to put her in the back of the car and in jail. That's what he's, what he paid, to, what he's paid to do. And something happened and Crystal says, quote, at that moment, his entire being changed. He became a human being with me instead of just a police officer. And Ryan Holitz said to Crystal, I want to adopt your baby. He did, and they named the baby Hope. Now there's a lot more to this story. You can Google it, Crystal Champ, Ryan Holitz, Albuquerque, New Mexico. I wanted to show it this morning, but copyrights, blah, blah, blah. But that, that, what she said about his countenance changing struck me. Let me read it again. After he said, what are you doing to the baby? And she screamed, you don't know how hard this is. I know what a horrible person I am. She said, his entire being changed. He became a human being with me instead of just a police officer. I love that. He entered into her mess. So let me love you. Had all authority 
<laughs> to just let her have it. And, and there were some consequences. You can see the story on your own. But he went from being this main authority to being a human being. And if that doesn't scream the Bible's gospel, I don't know what does. God who has every right to judge, every right to punish, every right to strike us down became human. And the human got struck so that we wouldn't have to. That's love. And church at West Franklin, it did not just happen when you trusted Christ. It's constant. His love for you is not based on what you do or don't do. He loves you, period. I pray you believe it. You can't fix you, but his love can. Let him enter the mess love you through it. Now I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. You're going to just remain where you are and sing along with Kendall and the team behind me here. If you want to stand and sing, that's fine with me. If you want to come to the altar and pray, you can. There's a couple things I want you to, I want to challenge you to do. In the pew rack in front of you, there's a card. I meant to bring one with me. I left it in my seat. But there's a card and on the front it says God is. And on the back, if you were here last week, you'll know the drill. But on the back, it says God is blank. And I encourage you to write the word love. And I want you to process for just a moment God's love for you. If there is a specific way God has revealed his love for you as we've been describing, or if you've seen it, maybe like this story that I just shared, you've seen it in another person's life, I want to encourage you to share it. Write it down. Contemplate it. Think over God's love. Maybe, maybe you just need to sit where you are, and that's fine. Or maybe there's just too few lines for you to write on. That's fine too. You send us emails this week that are just, I love them. And I encourage you to do that. You can send it to info at westfranklinchurch.com or you can just find, find my email address online. Can we just soak in the love of God for just a minute? Maybe you just want to keep your Bible open to Ephesians 2, 1 through 8 and read those verses again. Maybe you want to pray the end of chapter 3 for your own soul and the souls of those you love. I, I can't define it real well. I'm sure I could give you some kind of wooden definition. But I know he moved heaven and earth to be with you. And you never have to wonder if he loves you. He sent Jesus prove that. So Father, help us now. Help us to, to, to begin to even more so grasp your love. It's, it's so opposite of what we're told. It's so opposite of, this, of, the, of the water we swim in called this, this society and this, this atmosphere that we live in. But your love for us is true. It's real. It's radical. You don't wait for us to prove ourselves. You meet us where we are and love us in it and through it. So help us to believe. Help us to be transformed that way. Do those things only you can do, Jesus. It's in that name I pray. Amen.